Ministries podcast. Today we pick up with Bill Yonker on his final session on seasoning our own corner of the world. Thank you for being with me this week. I've enjoyed being with you and getting to know some of you and talking and eating and and so thank you, thank you for your your patience, your attendance, and uh, going on a little journey with me. So we are at our last day and our. Uh, schedule is this. We get about an hour and a half. And so uh, we're done at 10.30-ish. There's no planned uh, break. So if you need to get up and use the restrooms, uh, get a drink of water, get a cup of coffee, um, please just feel free to do that. That Because uh, we're not, unless I get tired and need to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> uh, but But that's what we'll be doing. So we are at... This is just going so slow. I'm not sure why today. There it goes. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And we talked about um, be what you are and what not what you is. And we are called to be salt. Salt and flavors. It makes people thirsty. It thaws ice, and it also gives traction. And we want to help have traction. Um, there's nothing worse. Have you ever had a dream that somebody is chasing you, and you're slipping and sliding, and you can't get away? Yeah, um, and, and that's kind of a common dream, I guess. But uh, trying to get some purchase, trying to get some traction. Um, there's some people that would spend their whole lives doing that, uh, trying to get... Uh, traction. They feel, um, they're always, my dad used to call it, a day late and a dollar short. And uh, um, what, what a hard way to live, an uncomfortable way to live, and, and even, dare I say, a sad way to live. And so we want to talk about giving traction. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now, who are the witnesses? In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of the hall of fame of God's people. And so when you go through chapter 11, you hear the hall of fame of God's people. And then uh, um, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, since we're surrounded by these people, almost like we're in, excuse me, a sports arena, and they are now up in the stands. Um, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, I was a high jumper and hurdler in uh, high school and college, and uh, I learned very quickly that the less entanglements you have, the faster the better you can run. You probably know this, ancient Greek races, they ran naked. Um, kinda glad we don't do that today. Uh, but it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. What is it that would hinder? Because then and people say, well, sin. No, it says, and the sin. So, so it's not sin. What are the things that, that hinder? Um, uh, maybe regrets? Uh, fears? Um, shames? There's a difference between, you always 
uh, talk about guilt and shame. They're not really synonymous. Guilt is what you feel when you've done something bad. Shame is what you feel when you feel you're a bad person. And, and so uh, shame can hinder people. It can keep people from, uh, from living fully their lives. I'm part of an organization called Healing Hearts. It's a, a phone-in, anonymous counseling for post-abortive women. Um, and it's anonymous, and what that means is they can call in, and that's why we don't have caller ID at our church. They can call in and talk to me, and um, I will let them know that they're loved and forgiven because what we found is uh, a number of post-abortive women now feel like they're bad fruit. It, it, men can too. Some men do call in uh, if they were part of the process. But they feel like they're bad fruit. They feel like they're no good. Um, and, and, you know, um, our society, uh, we, we, we have some sins that we, um, dependent on which camp you're in, are worse than others. Uh, a sin is a sin is a sin, folks. Can I say that again? Now, please know this. I am I think I told you this, I am very pro-life. Um, uh, but I also believe, too, that there's redemption, there's second chance, there is restoration. And so um, when women call, and sometimes they can barely talk, um, uh, it's a good thing I'm not a stranger to talking, because I'll, I'll do the talking. And really what, what we want to get to is the point of them knowing that God still loves them. He, he's not going to throw them away. As I said the other day, God is into recycling. And recycling, we who, who um, uh, feel like bad fruit. I believe, uh, I tell teenagers all the time, I believe in second time around virginity. Um, not physically, of course, but spiritually. Remember that passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. And so what happens if someone, uh, you know, we, we use misnomers. We say people lose their virginity. Nobody loses their virginity, right? It's not like you're walking down the mall one day, oh, stop, stop, stop. everybody, I just dropped my virginity. I mean, it, it, you, you don't lose your virginity. It's, sadly, you either surrender it or you're awfully. It's stolen from you. It's, it's, you're robbed of it in, in assault. Um, but nobody loses it. And um, uh, for those people who feel that they're now bad fruit, and I might as well go sex it up because, you know, uh, I'm already bad fruit, you know, I might as well go. And, and what we find, you know, is people having multiple partners um, end up later on in life uh, severely, severely in emotional and even psychological distress. Um, I told you I'm a terrible counselor, I told you, but people come to me because I'm free. Uh, most of the marriage counseling that I do are, are not young married couples, older couples. And a lot of it has to do with intimacy issues because of what happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, and um, so what I want to do is kind of nip it in the bud and, and let teenagers know. Um, and, and kind of Jesus, as we talked about, the woman caught in adultery and him saying, don't they condemn you? I guess not. Neither do I condemn you. What a beautiful, one of my favorite passages in the, in the scriptures. But then he follows it up and says, don't do this anymore. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's, it's ruining you. 
I'm making you brand new. And you know what? If you do it again, I'll make you brand new again. But, but you know, to avoid the consequences, to avoid the grief, the shame, the guilt, um, don't do this. Um, that's what entangles people. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. It, it ain't a sprint, folks. Um, it's a marathon. And you know, it's, it's amazing to me. I remember um, when I was young, um, the older people would say, ah, oh, you're going so fast, you know, and pay attention. And, and when you're young, time goes slow, you know. I mean, I, I remember watching The Wizard of Oz. It took 10 years to get down that yellow brick road. And finally, you'd get to see the wizard, and he was a weirdo. Now, you know, I meet the scarecrow, I get up, go to the bathroom, come back, and the witch is dead. You know, I, uh, time just speeds by. Somebody said, I, I, you've probably heard this too, but somebody said, time is like a roll of toilet paper. It goes faster the closer you get to the end. <laughs> There's some measure of truth. Somebody also said, life is like an onion. You peel away the layers, and sometimes you weep. That was just, I, I don't know why I said that, but that just came to mind too. Um, let's go on. It's just moving slow today. Temptations and sin are slippery, slimy, and full of sludge. Temptations and temptations and sin like to distract us, don't they? When um, when I was growing up, Grandpa Stregi, the um, forgive me, present company accepted, but truly he was the greatest human being I'd ever met. My grandpa, gra Grandpa Herbert Herbert Wilhelm Paul Stregi. My name is William Paul. They were going to name me after him, and uh, my mom just didn't want a little Herbie. <laughs> and so I think it would have been cool. I'd have been all right with Herbie, but uh, that's how I got William Paul. Anyway, uh, uh, he, uh, I've got fabulous stories. I won't bore you with the, the stories of him today, but uh, he was a great man. Ended up retiring up in northern Wisconsin, outside of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, um, in McNaughton. Uh, and he, uh, he and Grandma Striggy, they built a, uh, a home on Tom Doyle Lake. And it kind of sat up on a bluff, and then there was a hill. There was no beach there. It was the woods, you know. And they, they, they up on the bluff, and then they, they cut stairs down. <clears throat> and then there was a, a pier that went out. And, uh, but it was, there was no sand. It was like woods on the sides of the property. It came right up to the water there. But fabulous. And Tom Doyle, like you, you could see across it. It probably was uh, three-quarters of a mile across. And not dead center, but off to the side was this island. And uh, we would spend a lot of our summers up at, at Grandpa Streggy's. And um, uh, there I learned to swim. Um, the rule was if, if you went out on a pier and you didn't know how to swim, you had to put on a life jacket. And so I always had my life jacket on. And my, my mom um, was saying one time, uh, um, don't forget to put your life jacket on. And my grandpa said, he's getting old enough. He doesn't need a life jacket. And my mom said, he doesn't know how to swim yet. And, and my grandpa looked at me and said, do you know how to swim? And I said, no, grandpa, I don't know how to swim. Grabbed me by the life jacket and threw me in. 
And I was, ah, and my mom screamed. And then, you know, yeah, of course, I, but I bobbed to the top because I got a life jacket on. And uh, he said, kick your paddle, kick your paddle. And so I, I did it all the way and, and got back in. And, and, you know, I was a little shook up, but I, I got back on the pier and I looked up and I said, Grandpa, do it again. <laughs> and he did. And, and so that's how I learned to swim. Well, um, uh, he had a, a, a rowboat and on the back of it was a three and a half horsepower Evan Rude engine that you had to steer with your hand in the back, you know, but power. <laughs> um, but I wasn't able to use it at first. Uh, my brothers, Bob and John, they got to use it. They were the bigger boys. And, of course, they would take all the time and the gas that they could, and, and I never even got to learn. Um, and I would beg Grandpa, and, and he'd say, well, when you're older, Billy, when you're old. And, and when um, I was um, uh, upset about that, one time he said, let me show you something. And, and he had birch bark trees all over his property. And the, birch, the kind of birch bark that, that kind of sheds away from the tree. Have you ever seen that? And, and so he would tear off sheets of this. And then he took me into his woodshed. And um, he showed me how to cut it. And at first you've got to soak it in water. You soak it, you get it just totally soaked. And then it becomes pliable. And then how to cut it. And then in the shape of a canoe. You know, and so you'd put the sides then together, and then he showed me how uh, to cut, and then you'd stitch with twine at the ends, and you made these birch bark canoes. They were spectacular, and I would make birch bark canoes. And I would spend my time making birch bark canoes. I remember it was near the end of uh, my seventh grade. And I was old enough to take out a motorboat, but my brothers didn't let me do it. So finally, I complained enough to Grandpa, and he said, okay. And it was uh, our last day there for the summer. He had said to Bob and John, my brothers, Billy gets the boat tomorrow. And they were mad, but I didn't care. And uh, they gave me dirty looks, too. I didn't care. And, and so um, I remember walking down the pier with Grandpa, it was a, a cloudy day, and it was threatening rain, the last day there. So Grandpa said, you know, Billy, I'm a little worried it's going to storm. And uh, so I'm going to sit right here on the end of the pier. And uh, he said, you take the boat. And I wanted to go over to the island, you see, because my brothers found real Native American arrowheads. Because it was at one point, this island was, was uh, a hunting ground because the animals would get trapped down there. and Anyway, so they, they found real arrowheads, and I wanted to find a real arrowhead more than anything in my life. And, and so Grandpa said, um, you go over to the island, you can look for your arrowheads, but here's, I'm going to sit here, with, and he had a bullhorn. And he said, if it starts to rain, Billy, I'm going to call, and you come immediately. I don't care what you're doing. You drop what you're doing, and you come back. Because if it's thunders and lightning, and you're on the lake, um, you're going to be the tallest thing on the lake, and you're going to, he said, you're going to get killed, and I don't want you to get killed. I said, thanks, Grandpa. And so then um, I said, okay, I promise. He said, you promised me? Shake on it. He made me shake on it. I promised as soon as I'd hear his voice, I would come back if I had to. I remember to this day getting in that boat, and you had to, you know, about 10 times to start it and then start up, and then you did a little choke thing, and, and, and then you give it a little gas, and then you could, you know, putter away. And I remember going across Tom Doyle Lake, first time, freedom, power. Bob and John were on the shore. 
And I remember getting over to the island, and they had told me, he said, as soon as you get to the island, first thing you do is you pull the boat up and you tie it off. Don't forget to, because if you forget to tie it off and the boat goes away, that's a long swim back to Grandpa's. And so I said, okay. So I did that. I got, and I pulled the boat up. Now, by this time, all of Grandpa's birch bark trees had been stripped bare. I had stripped them bare because I'd been making birch bark canoes, and and it took me a while to get it good. So I ruined a lot of, a lot of them at first. But I got pretty good at it. Well, as, I, as soon as I pulled the boat up, I looked, and there were all these birch bark trees. And I thought, oh my gosh. I could get a bunch of sheets. I could take them back. I could make presents for my friends this winter. They'd love birch bark canoes. So after I tied off the boat, I started peeling away the birch bark, making little piles. See, I went to look for arrowheads, but I got distracted by the birch bark. And as I was making piles, thinking I should start looking for arrowheads, that's when it hit me. The first drop, about the size of a nickel. And then a second and a third. And I'd put the sheets of birch bark in the canoe in, into the boat. And that's when I heard Grandpa say, Billy, I heard thunder. Come home now. But I hadn't gotten an arrowhead. I hadn't even looked for an arrowhead. And I thought, I'll just pretend I didn't hear him. Even though I promised. But it wasn't, but Five seconds later, Billy, I know you can hear me. Come home <coughs> now. <coughs> I know I had to go home. I jumped in the boat. I started across the lake, and more and more drops were coming down. And I remember a look of pure panic and fear on my grandpa's face as he grabbed me out of that boat. And he said, tie it up, but do it quick. And I tied up the boat. And by the time we ran up the steps, we were drenched. Lightning was in the sky. And we got in the house, and he said, oh, that was close. And he was shaking off the water. And he said, okay, let me see him. Let me see him. Let me see the arrowheads. I said, Grandpa, I, I didn't find any arrowheads. He said, you didn't. They're all over that island. I said, well, Grandpa, I saw this birch bark. And I started taking the birch bark, and I didn't get the arrowheads. Can I go tomorrow? Can I please go tomorrow? He said, well, you're leaving tomorrow. I said, before we go, can we go tomorrow? And he said, you didn't get any arrowhead. And he was disappointed for me, I could see. Not disappointed in me, but disappointed for me. And he said, but you may have had all that birch bark. I said, I know I am. I used all that I had here, and I was going to make presents. And he said, well, that's nice. That'll be fun. I said, but i got to get an arrowhead. Please let me go in the morning. Well, the next morning, it was still storming, lightning, thunder. And my parents were gracious and waited as long as we could, but we had to drive back to Michigan. I remember being so sad, and Grandpa saying, Billy, I promise you the first day you come next summer, you take that boat out, you'll find all kinds of arrowheads. That Christmas, Grandpa had his first heart attack. Grandma had passed away two years before that. And so he was living alone. And I remember my parents rushing up to make sure he was okay. And when he got out of the hospital, he had been adamant he was going to stay in his home. But it was right after Christmas that year, 
He had his first stroke. And then he got a series of these little heart attacks and mini strokes over and over. And that spring, my dad and my uncle and my big brother John went up and sold his place on Tom Doyle Lake. And he came down to live with us. And it was a fabulous time before he passed away. But I got to tell you, I've never, ever again been on Tom Doyle Lake. I've, I've gone back to visit the place twice. Only twice. It hurts too much to go there. Somebody else has bought it. Kept it pretty much, and they kept it up nicely. But it hurts too much to see it knowing I can't be there. And so it's best left in my, my memory, in my mind. But I've never been back on Tom Doyle Lake. I've never been on that island again. And I never, ever, ever have found an arrowhead in my life. Now, please, don't give me an arrowhead. (laughs) I've literally had people, I've told this story around the country, and I think I have about six arrowheads now, kind people sending them to me. And some have put them on little necklaces, and so I wear them on occasion. Um, I have some on a little shelf in my office, and I I love them. That's kind of them. Um, But part of that is I, I wasted an opportunity. It was my own fault. I got distracted. Let us throw off the things that hinder, the distractions that keep us from living the life that God would have us live. Uh, Temptations and sin get slippery, slimy, and full of sludge. And looking for for, uh, birch bark wasn't, wasn't sinful, but it was a distraction, and it's left me with regrets. Here's the most ironic thing of the whole thing. If you go to my house, 460 Tartans Drive in West Dundee, it's a Scottish place, West Dundee, Illinois, 460, you'll notice at the northeast corner of my property, a birch bark tree that was there when I bought the house. I didn't plant it. And I kept thinking, if I dig enough in the backyard, maybe the Lord, with a sense of humor, would help me find an arrowhead. <laughs> I haven't found one yet, as I said. Um, let's go on. I really don't know why it's all going slow today. What? Yeah. Um, this is... I think this is incredible. Not only did God part the Red Sea, remove the obstacles, but people walked on dry ground. I mean, think about it. There's there's hundreds of thousands of people going through the Red Sea, and if you just parted the water, they would be walking through dragging carts and, and mothers with babies on their shoulders through muck and mire. God, the miracle wasn't just that God parted the Red Sea but that they walked on dry ground. It even says that, if we can get there. There it is. Um, Let's do this. Ladies, you read verse 21. Gentlemen, you read verse 22. Uh, Go ahead, ladies.
Gentlemen. The miracle is not just that he parted the Red Sea. That's an incredible miracle. And I've heard people say, well, he didn't part the Red Sea, he parted the Reed Sea, and it's only ankle deep, and so it wasn't that big of a miracle. Even if that was true, which I don't believe. I believe it was the Red Sea, like the Bible says. Even if that was true, the miracle would still be, it was on dry ground. They wouldn't have been able to go through the muck and the mire, as God does for us. May we do for others. I'll need some sound, James. We'll go back. Yeah. Whoa, that's not good. Oh, I don't need this. I'm already late. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? No. Sorry. Somebody! Hello! There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help. Now, would somebody please do something? I don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's not enough left to do, is it? If you don't get why that's funny, please see me afterwards. And yet, the reason it's funny is because there's, there's an element of truth. Sometimes we get stuck on escalators because we're... We're, we're incapacitated to go forward, or um, sometimes uh, we just freeze with our inability to, um, to go forward. We get stuck sometimes in a mire. Um, and Jesus says, I want to uh, give you dry ground. As Jesus did for us, may we do for others in his name and by his power. Um, There's an incredible account where Jesus says to his disciples one morning, let's get in the boat and go over to this area called Gergesa. Now, Gergesa was known for only one thing. There were these two men that were extremely violent, running around, terrorizing people in the and, and, and they had been chained up, they'd broken their chains, but they still had chains, and they had torn off their clothes, so they're running around the tombs naked. Mark says they were extremely violent. Luke tells the account, too, and says um, that many people were afraid of them. Uh, Matthew's account says uh, that, that um, Jesus specifically said, let's go there. And it becomes obvious Jesus wants to confront um, now, uh, Luke tells us uh, there's only one demon, um, and it's the one doing the talking. There were two, but, but he just focuses on the one doing the talking. Uh, the other, Mark, Matthew and Mark, say there were two. And um, uh, when they get, when Jesus gets there, he, so sometimes we, we make Jesus um, into such a wuss. We do. We make him, you know, that, that he's, 
He's soft and kind and, 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 and kind of flimsy and, and maybe uh, easily has his sensitivities and sensibilities offended. Jesus was nothing like that. Jesus walked up to diseased people and grabbed them. He went into to places where people were dead and he raised them from the dead. Jesus was fearless and so he got and demon possessed. He went to the demon possessed. And he confronts them and says, what's your name? Not the guy that's possessed, but the demons. He confronts, and they say, legion, for we are many. And then they know it's Jesus, the Son of God, and they beg him, please, don't make us go back into the abyss, into hell. And Jesus gives them lead to go into a herd of pigs. The herd of pigs then rushes down the the bank, and die. They die, so they're going to end up back in the abyss anyway. And, and then the, the pig herders rush into the town to say what happened, and all these people come out. And when they come back, they see the demoniac, the man who had been possessed. And it says this, he was sitting with Jesus, and he was dressed, and he was in his right mind, and people were amazed. Now, here's what blows my mind. It doesn't surprise me that he was in his right mind and free of the demons. What surprises me is, where did he get the clothes? And people were terrified of him. They were, who would give this guy clothes? There's only one conclusion I can come to. Jesus brought them. Jesus brought the clothes. And said, let's go to Gergesa. We're going to take care of these guys and we're going to dress them up. That's the only conclusion. And, and so, um, one of the first accounts of true gospel in the Old Testament, Genesis, we know Genesis 3, where, where um, Jesus says to the devil, um, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring, spawn of evil, and her offspring. Your offspring will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And we know on Mount Calvary, that's what happens. Uh, at Mount Calvary, Jesus' heel is getting bruised, he the seed of the woman. But when he rises from the grave, he crushes the head of Satan. And so that's all the way back, Genesis 3, 15, 16. We call that the proto-euangelion. Proto meaning first, euangelion, the evangel, or, or uh, good news, the first giving of the good news. But after that then, Remember, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've, they've ruined Eden. And God is going to cast them out. Why does he cast them out? Because he doesn't want them to have fun? No, he doesn't want them to eat from the tree. Remember, there were two special trees in Eden, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one they ate from and that they sinned because God said, don't touch it. But there was another tree that they could have eaten from and God didn't have any prohibition. The tree of life, if you'd eat from that tree, you would live forever. God kicked them out of Eden so that they wouldn't eat of that tree, live forever and stay perpetually in their sin. It was grace that God kicked them out of Eden. Interestingly enough, when we get to heaven, first thing we're going to do is eat from the trees on the side of the stream. They're trees of life. We'll live forever. Um, but so he's going to kick Adam and Eve out. And then it says this at the end of Genesis chapter 3. 
And God made clothes for them of animal skins and dressed them. And that was a kind thing because now they were going to face the climate. They were going to face wild animals. They were going to face the elements. They couldn't go out there naked. And notice what God did. God clothed them with animal skins. A death happened so that they would be covered. Jesus' death happened so that we would be covered. This is not a coincidence. It's a carefully orchestrated plan. As Jesus did for us, may we do for others. Um, and so Jesus uh, not only gave healing to the demoniac, but if he was still running around the tombs naked, who would want to be with him? He would have no traction. So Jesus gives him clothes to give him traction for his life ahead. Not only when God does a miracle for you, when he, he paves the way, clears the way, don't just look at the clearing of the way. See how he's going to give you some dry ground. And if you don't see the dry ground, be like that woman who took Jesus' promises and put a bag of his promises, put them at his feet that he couldn't step over and say, Jesus, yeah, thanks for getting me out of the spot of trouble, but I don't know how to go forward, so you've got to give me the next uh, bit of dry ground. Ask him for that. You get not if you ask not, you know. And so, uh, uh, as Jesus has done for us, may we do for others. Gives traction. How do we give traction? First, by being truthful. We live in a world that is comfortable with lies. We live, um, all the politicians point at each other and say, you're lying. In fact, in the Chicago Sun-Times, I read the Chicago Sun-Times, I still read a newspaper. I love walking down the driveway, picking up a newspaper, bringing it in, sitting down with my cup of coffee and opening it. I still read uh, all the young people, they get all their news on the internet and say, I like a newspaper. And I read the Sun-Times. And in the Sun-Times, especially for the local politicians, they'll have a, uh, whenever they, they, they make a statement, and it's usually an extravagant statement, they will have fact-checker stat. And so then they'll, they'll have investigative reporters, you know, uh, on the city alderman or the mayor or things like that. Fact-checker. There's so much lying going on out there. Um, this may rankle some of you, and I, I don't, I'm not offering offense, so please don't take any. Remember that whole thing. But I truly believe, I deal with a lot of young people. And one of our problems today is many of the young people have bought a lie that has been fed them. And the lie is this, evolution. And people, people will say, well, evolution is a proven fact. No, it is not. It is not a, it is a, evolution is a religion, is a system of beliefs. It cannot be proved. When I was growing up, they came up with this thing, carbon dating, and they said the world was five million years old. Now they said, oh, we made a mistake. It's actually five billion years old. Well, they've already admitted they made a mistake with carbon dating. <clears throat> the problem with carbon dating, anytime you have a, a system of measurement, you have to be able, a new system of measurement needs to be um, uh, paralleled with an existing accepted system of measurement. For instance, um, I could say we're about seven yards apart and we can take a yardstick and we can measure that and we can say, yes, that's true or that's not true. 
Um, you, you need a, if you're going to measure something, you have to have a system of measurement that the new system is able to be verified by an existing. There is no existing uh, uh, measurement of time that is truly acceptable. And, and people have said, well, we, we came from, there was a big bang. Well, where'd the stuff come from the big bang? And nobody gives me that, a comet came and hit that. Well, where'd those things come from? Nobody tells me that. They just happened. And then they'll say, well, um, you know, we were, it was an amoeba, and an amoeba became a fish, and the fish became an amphibian, and an amphibian became a land animal, land animal. Here's the deal. They don't have any in-betweeners. We've got fish, we've got amphibians, we don't have in-betweeners. We've got, we've got amphibians, we've got land animals, we don't have in-betweeners. And every once in a while, they'll come up with, um, you know, a, a, a human form, and they say Cro-Magnon man or Neanderthal man, they're half-ape, half-man, and... and um, Two things on that. Um, it's always, they always find these, these beings where apes already were living. So could it be that the apes and the, they, they've confused the apes and the men's skeletons and put them together? I don't know. But all I know is there's not an in-between now. And, and if amoebas became fish, why are there still amoebas? And if fish became amphibious, why are there still fish? Why didn't they all become amphibious? And if there's amphibians, why? Uh, there's, it's not logical to me. I believe in creation. I believe in a creator God. I believe we were created in the image of God. And people say, well, what's the big deal? So what? I'll tell you, so what? When we tell children that they are animals, they're going to act like an animal. They're going to believe that they are victims of their instincts and their drives. And it's not fair to them that we don't let them know that there is a creator God who made them in his image, who said that they are loved beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's so many lies. And the lies can ruin us. And sometimes it's not just a lie. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding of the truth. For instance, tomorrow, Saturday, so we can be able to go home tomorrow. It's going to be so exciting. That killed him. And I show you that to tell you this. We must be careful, then, how we speak. We must be careful. That poor little girl. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Truth is not meant to be a weapon. It's not meant to be a battering ram. It is meant to offer life and help and holiness and health and wholesomeness. But it needs 
to be given with love. Remember uh, Mary Poppins? Remember um, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? I think that's true for the medicine of truth. We need a spoonful of, of sugary love to help the medicine go down. Emily Dickinson, the great poet, she said, uh, tell the truth, but tell it slant. I love that. And what she was saying, she was saying, she wasn't saying skew the truth, but she was saying find a way that the truth fits in people. Sometimes truth can't go straight into people. Sometimes it's like this, or it's like this, or it's like this. Tell the truth, but tell it slant. I keep setting my thing down here. Wow, it's slow motion today. <laughs> Folks, I want to encourage you to keep both oars in the water. As I told you about Grandpa Stragi when I was growing up, um, I learned to row the boat first because he wouldn't let me use the, the motor. And you've rowed a boat before. And in order to row a boat, you've got to pull on both oars, right? <laughs> if you pull on just one oar, what happens? If you pull on just the other oar, what happens? You go the other way around in a circle. If you pull on no oars, what happens? You go nowhere. you got to keep both oars in the water. And, and I believe that there are two oars we need to keep in the water, especially as we strive to give traction. First, Latin word, caritas. We get the word caring or charity from that. It, it means love. Latin, the Latin word for love, caritas. And the other one. Veritas, truth. So in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, their doctrine was pretty good. They didn't have bad doctrine. They had no love. And I have been to some places where there's love, 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 and no truth. You know, and, and um, God's word is set aside. We're just, we're, we're just going to... Uh, accept people and love people, and, and we're not going to hold them accountable. We're not going to help them stay healthy and holy. We're just going to love them. And um, all of a sudden, people's lives fall apart, and uh, they're like, I don't know what happened. Well, there was no truth that was given. Truth, truth is a skeleton that helps hold the body together. If you take away the truth, you crumble on there. There's no skeleton. Um, interestingly enough, Many of the problems in the church bodies today, the church body that I serve in, um, we lack love. And it bothers me greatly. We, uh, the church body I serve in, doctrine is, is perfect, fine, wonderful, biblical. And yet, we can be so very mean to one another. It's amazing, and it breaks my heart. And, and what breaks my heart even more, is that the spirit of meanness isn't even seen by some of the people that have the spirit of meanness. And there are none so blind as those who will not see. But we've got to keep both. If we're going to um, keep both oars in the water, we've we got to keep both. Um, let's go on. Gives traction, first, by being truthful. Second, by being energetic. Um, did I tell you about the, yeah, I think I told you about the guy in the airplane that said the biggest problem he had with Christians is they're bored and boring. Did I tell you that? You know, that's amazing. So many Christians, we, we look bored and we're boring. Or, or at least appear that way. 
Um, I work hard to keep people's attention. Um, some people uh, get furious with me. But it's all about trying to energize. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, 19th Danish, 19th century Danish Lutheran, said this, this generation will die not because of sin, but because of lack of passion. Isn't that interesting? When, when we talk about Jesus' death and resurrection, what do we do you know what we call that part of his? We call it his passion, right? When, when we have Holy Communion, do you know what we call that? We call that celebrating Holy Communion. You know what you call the person who is, is doing the words of institution and giving the Holy Communion? They're called the celebrant. Uh, do, do we see it that way today? We go on through the motions. John 9, 4. Jesus says this, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Get about it. Be about it. Do the work. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. You probably know this from school. Wow, that's going really slow. Oh, here we go. Ralph Waldo Emerson, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Do you remember when, you've heard the story of Alexander Graham Bell um, inventing the, the telephone. Do you remember what the first words were? Yes. He said, Watson, come quickly because he'd spilled some acid on himself. And so um, the the words were um, passionate, not because he'd invented the phone, but because it was hurting. And yet, that's that's illustrative to me that that we should be passionate. Um, Do you know the word eureka? Eureka? You know what it means? It's Greek. It's a Greek word. Yep. And nobody ever goes... Eureka. Right? No, you. Eureka. Eureka! Nothing ever great was achieved without enthusiasm. Um, there's a great camp over in Iowa, Okoboji Lutheran Bible Camp. And for a number of years, I uh, would go do their, their staff training. I would spend uh, about four days in uh, Okoboji. And there was Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp and Ingham Lutheran Bible Camp. They were all ELCA camps. And they would uh, get their, their staffs together and, and do some training. And, and my job was to do intense Bible study. And this is not like baby food. This is not pabble. This is intense meat and potatoes Bible study. And I loved it because college kids, man, they'll, they'll challenge you. And um, um, we, would, we would rotate from different camps. But when I got to um, uh, Okoboji, uh, I loved 
we'd do the Bible studies in the chapel, and the chapel was, was beautiful. not as cool as this one, but a very nice chapel. And it sat up on a hill. And so as people would um, come to chapel, the college kids, I would stand outside the door because I wanted to get to know them. I only had four days, and I wanted to know their names because I wanted, when I gave them communion, I wanted to call them by name when I gave them communion. So I'd high-five, low-five, and there's about 100 of these kids, you know, elbow, elbow bumping, doing that. And, and, man, people in Iowa and Minnesota are tall these days, aren't they? Holy cow. I mean, I... I used, to, I used to be tall. Now I'm like jumping, trying to high-five. And that's the girls. I mean, it's, they're, they're tall people. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm doing that. And as I'm doing it, meeting these kids one time, all of a sudden, I felt something on my stomach. And I looked down, and there was a girl, and she was probably about five feet even, and she was rubbing my belly. And I said, hi. And she went, hi. And she danced in. Well, the next session, I'd kind of forgotten about that, so high-fiving, low-fiving, elbow-bumping, and, and wasn't paying attention. All of a sudden, I felt it again, and there she was, rubbing my belly. And she go, hi, and she danced in. Well, by the third session, I was ready for her. And I could see her. She was like stealthily, you know, hiding behind people, trying, but I saw her coming. And so, so she came up, and she got to me, and, and I was pretending like I didn't see her. And then right before she rubbed my tummy, I went, ah-ha, I catch her. And she went, ah. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm rubbing your tummy. I said, why? She said, because it's there. <laughs> no lie. I said, oh, no, I know what you're doing. She said, what? I said, you're calling me chubby, aren't you? She said, no. I said, yeah, you're calling me chubby. She said, no, I would never do I said, I think you're calling me chubby. And she goes, no. I said, because you're calling me chubby, I've got a name for you. She said, what? I said, you are short. She said, what? I said, yeah, you call me chubby, you're short. And with that, she squared her shoulders and she looked at me and she said this, listen here, Buster, you better step back. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a princess in the kingdom of God and you are messing with royalty. I did the only thing I could do. I stepped back. <laughs> How brilliant that she was not going to be defined by her height or her stature or anything else other than that she was a princess in the kingdom of God and that I should watch out. And the enthusiasm that she, she used in teaching me this, this thing. Uh, uh, college kids. Uh, hey, grandparents. Listen to your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and your children. They can still give you a lot of truth and some good teaching. And of course, we want the grandparents to be listened to as well, especially now that I'm one of you. <laughs> Let's go on. Oh, I said this, this generation will die not because of sin, but because of lack of passion. Um, have you ever... You're watching the news, and you, you, there's some trial, and the, the person uh, that is accused of something is found guilty, and um, then they sentence them, and uh, they'll say this sometimes, and the, the, um, the one convicted after the sentence was read stood there and gave no emotion. And gave no emotion. Isn't that sad? We don't even sin with passion anymore, right? In fact, um, Tony Campolo says, you, you know, uh, people in King David, they, they sinned with passion. 
You know, now we, what we call is too anemic to call sin. Well, sin, sin. But what his point was simply is that um, we sometimes let life do us. We, we don't do it. Let's go on. Oh, I'm going to need some sound for this. There is a, in England, they have a cheese race. Have you heard of this? Yeah, it's crazy. They roll a big thing of cheese down a hill, and you got to run to catch it, and whoever catches it gets the cheese. Watch. You know what? I, I need to do something. I need to just turn the, the program off for a second because it's... It's too good to have it messed up. It's, it's loading. It's from northern Michigan. It's uh, actually uh, the old view of Camp Arcadia, just south of Traverse City. Okay, I think maybe we've got it fixed. I'm ready, James, so if you got some sound, we'll see if it works. No. Oh. He just caught a fish, a bass, a bass. I don't, I don't know. They're all the same. Guess where he took me? Fishing. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I just let's. Well, you know what? Let's do that, and I can. Um, any questions, comments that you've had? Go ahead, Jake. Well, I believe there were dinosaurs on the ark. I believe that um, uh, there's a, the Institute for Creation Research. It's out of California. And it's all PhDs, geologists. Um, uh, you know, they studied uh, Mount St. Helens. Remember when Mount St. Helens erupted? And in Washington, yeah. And in three days, the rock strata formed what geologists used to say would take millions of years. And it happened in three days. And so that's what got so many of these geologists saying, hey, maybe there's... Maybe we're not right. But geologists and doctors and scientists, they're all, if, you're, if you work at the Institute for Creation Research in California, you have to be a PhD. And so they will say they've got these great books. There's a guy named Ken Ham 
Um, I don't know if you've ever, anybody here of Ken Ham? Um, and Ken does some phenomenal stuff, uh, has written some books on this, and talks about dinosaurs being on the ark. And, um, you know, the Bible talks about, uh, um, for the sea creatures, leviathans, but he, what would the, but he also talks about a big land, that would be like a woolly mammoth or something like that. Okay, we're getting there. Answers in Genesis? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and that's, that's, that'll help with that. And so here's the deal on that, though. Um, I can't prove creation. It's a, it's a system of beliefs. And so it's, I choose to, to, to believe that, or I, I'm led to believe that. But um, I believe also that, that uh, other explanations of our beginnings are systems of belief, too. They can't be proven. Do it, he says. Uh, with young kids, we didn't have time to read everything, so I took pictures, but then they had a great book of all the pictures oh, I had already really taken. Smart. So I was like, whatever, buy the book for 25 bucks in the gift shop, and you got it all right there. Exactly, that's what I did, and then it was all in a book anyway. So I just did that. The Ark Encounter in Kentucky, which is Ken Ham, also the one who did the Creation Museum. I'm thinking he was the one which is parallel to that right in Kentucky, down around Cincinnati, um, Ohio. So uh, we haven't done the Creation Museum, but we did do the Ark Encounter as yeah. a family and definitely yeah. worth the visit. Yeah. Did you have your hand up? I could be wrong, but I think that there is definite natural selection and evolution to the point where water evolves into something different for natural selection reasons. And I think that Give there's a proof for that. But I also believe that God created people in his image. And I think that that was a definite, on purpose, creation by God. And I think that evolution sometimes confuses the two, where I think that there is. Well, you, you, see, um, you see things even in our lifetime, where, where one animal evolves and accepts uh, different resistance to disease. Right, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm with I you, and we're getting bigger and faster and stronger. I, I, right. I, I agree and, with that. I, I believe that there definitely is natural selection. I don't think natural selection and, and evolving into a, uh, a stronger, different 
Can you give her for instance well, of, for of instance, one, one yeah, yes. one changing to another? For instance, I believe that dinosaurs died out because they didn't there's no reason to exist right. in today's world. Yeah, I believe they were there and died but out. I believe that they were there. Sure. And um, I believe that things evolved to become a stronger. You know I, I, what I mean? No argument. I, so, I believe that so too. I, but I think that there's an there's a confusion between that and evolution that says we were once monkeys. Right, and and that and was my I point. Believe, I believe that God created people. Period. Perfect. I believe he created fish, he created animals, but that the things, I mean, this is just my, my understanding of everything I hear because I hear the arguments for evolution. My own kids might disagree with me. Yeah. But to me, it makes sense that whatever changed was under the guidance and direction of God and that he, he had something to do with it. And I think when we say that evolution is full of baloney or whatever, I think that we can strongly offend people who, I mean, is it really important? Well, I think if you remember, my, my first point was this, yeah, but I um, do think that, that if children are told they're animals, right. and that's, that's my problem is when kids are told that they're animals. We're not part of the animal kingdom. We're not part of the vegetable kingdom or the mineral kingdom. We are part of the kingdom of God. And we are created in the image of God. Right. With a soul and God created us in his image. And I think as we, as we explain that to children, I think that's the important thing. Yeah, I wholly agree think, with you. Absolutely. I think we leave out a whole bunch of people when we undermine but see, and, and I, I, I'm with you all the way. The problem is, is, is it, there's an either or for so many people. Go ahead. So I think that the terminology might be the issue. Fair enough. Um, there's two different terminologies. There is microevolution and there's macroevolution. Microevolution is like domestication of dogs. You know, they were wolves one time and we can create all these different, you know, variations, but they're still a dog. They're still, you know, wolf ancestry and stuff like that. So that's microevolution, which, you know, we can show and prove. But macroevolution is what you're talking about, where you have this um, sequence of events that, you know, from a smaller life form to a greater life form. And when you get into the science of macroevolution, it doesn't hold up. What, what do you do? I'm an engineer. Okay. <laughs> You had a question or a statement? Yeah, you know, I don't want to you know, debate the point, but I think the comment about when you make a flat-out statement that evolution is a made-up theoretical thing that, that isn't true and that dinosaurs existed on the ark with human beings at some points I think you really do close the door to a whole segment of people, myself included. And, and You took offense at that? I think saying take it, I'm trying not, I don't want to take offense. Yeah. I know it wasn't intended as, and, a, and truly as, a, I didn't offer as an any. offensive statement. 
it was it was so so therefore no I'm not taking offense because you you made it clear up before you made the comment about yeah. creationism that this isn't intended to be offensive so I didn't take it as such but I I do take it as I mean it, it, it do you do you really think, have a hard time with that do you think it evolution is and let's use I like your terms macro evolution is taught as so science, the term science means something that can be verified, proven absolutely true. If I drop a quarter a hundred times, or let go of a quarter a hundred times, it's going to fall on the ground. That's, I can prove the, the gravity. That's scientific. Yeah, gravity works. Right. So um, do you think that macroevolution is scientific? Or, or is it science? Is it, is it verifiable beyond? Or is it a system of beliefs? And that's, that's simply my contention. So is somebody who is not a, uh, you know, say, a, a microbiologist who would study this and train myself in this space, I would say that I think science is a continued effort to try to find answers to these bigger questions that we all have. Fair enough. And in a similar way that religion may also try to help satisfy those same inner desires that we all have to try to understand our purpose being reason for, for loss and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that the 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 you know, the science behind the theory of evolution is it absolutely science based. I think you look at carbon dating. I think you look at like ice core samples. We can. I mean, you can get real deep into some of these issues. The 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 Earth wasn't always the the continents weren't always in the same locations that they currently are today. Like there's. Things have shifted throughout the hundreds of millions of years of Earth's existence. Is that God's purpose? Is it a natural occurring evolutionary process that is science-based, perhaps? Is God responsible for that, perhaps? But I think to say that creationism is the answer is misleading and closes the door on a lot of other people like myself who are trying to be open-minded to, yeah. to your position. And so um, I... Fairly certain, I didn't say creationism is the only answer. I said, I believe in it. I also believe that evolution, macroevolution, of one species changing to another is theory. It's a system of beliefs. It's not proven. And when I work with teenagers who will say, um, I'm joining a gang. I'll probably be dead by the time I'm 21 because um, they're going to make me shoot someone and I'm going to get shot in return. Simply as animalistic. They believe they're an animal. They have no way um, beyond that. And I truly believe they are taught that from, they've came, come from animals. Nice. So one thing I do appreciate is we can have a pretty civil, open, open dialogue because, you know, we're, we're, that's, that's sorely missing in, in broader society. Um, you know, and I think, I think your point is, comes from the right place. You know, your intentions are right. I would challenge the idea that, that those children that you talk about, and I've done a lot of work also in, in, in with at, you know, disaffected youth and, and you know, kids from, from places that are really coming from a hard spot, and I would maybe suggest that the reason they make the decisions that they're making um, or the actions, taking the actions that they're taking, or for different purposes than just because they've been taught that they're, you know, animals. I think 
Fair enough. I, I think there's many things, but I think there there is an antecedent. There's something that uh, a Colonel. We, we we I'd love this. I, I'd good. love to keep talking. And thank you for your kindness, and and uh, and for the other comments too. Anything else on this? And then we'll move on. All right. All right. Here we go. There, it's working now. So remember, they're just chasing cheese. There's the cheese right there. for cheese it amazes me that it's just for cheese and my point is if they can be so excited to race down the hill for cheese can we be excited to race to some other things um, I, this happens every year it's been going on for years and years and years I just learned about it um, gives traction first by being truthful second by being energetic third by being encouraging 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. How can we best... Um, I am not a, uh, a carpenter. My wife lets me have a hammer and a screwdriver. She does not let me use them. Um, I'm not Tim the Toolman Taylor. But I know enough when I have a hammer, a claw hammer, that one side of the hammer is for for pounding and usually building up. I know you can smash things with the, the hammer part, but the other, the claw, is for, for either pulling out nails or tearing something down. And my question is, as we, as we live our lives and use the hammers in our lives, are you you're using the building up part more or the tearing down more? Or maybe better said, are you, would you be, would the people who know you best consider you a carpenter or a termite? Are you building up? Are you tearing down? Um, I think we can agree that we, our families, our communities, our society, certainly even our churches, have uh, all kinds of termites. And uh, again, sometimes the sad thing is a termite doesn't realize that they're a termite. Sometimes they think, you know, that they're they're um, I have a fellow in my church, and um, uh, he gets furious with the organist if her prelude is too long. And I mean, he visibly gets upset, and you can, see, and he's looking at his watch, and and he's making no more. And you know, if he sat in the back and didn't, but he's sitting up near the front, and 
and all of the body language, and it makes me so nervous because I don't want this guy to affect the other people. And, and the organist can't tell because she's in the balcony with her back to it. She has no clue he's upset. But he's going to make sure everybody knows that he's upset that her prelude is too long. And, you know, if he was on a time schedule, you know, he was, you know, uh, racing to, to catch a plane, that would be one thing. But he's retired. I, I, I don't know what he's got to do that's so important. Um, and we've worked, hard, we've worked very hard to make sure our organist doesn't know he feels this way. Now, truth would be that she would be told, but she, she's, she's got a sensitive soul. She would be devastated. I don't want to leave. Stop playing the organ. Preludes. I mean, isn't that, is it, does it happen sometimes that you have to choose between telling the truth and being kind? Um, somebody asks you, hey, I just bought this shirt. I love this shirt. Do you like this shirt? And you hate it. What do you say? No, I hate it, but it looks good on you. Uh, that's the old Rodney Dangerfield line, you know, from Caddyshack. But um, sometimes we're, we're up against it. But I think the, the, the key thing is, uh, measure it against this, uh, how do we build people up? How do we encourage them? Can we fire people up without burning them out? Did you ever hear of Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. Lee, phenomenal man. Um, there's a church by me called Willow Creek. At one point, Willow Creek was the, the largest uh, Protestant church in America. And Lee Strobel was one of the three big pastors. It was Bill Hybels, Lee Strobel, and I just forgot the other guy. Anyway, um, Lee Strobel, he was a, uh, worked for the Chicago Tribune. He was first a reporter and then a columnist and very well-known and uh, an avowed atheist, very outspoken atheist, wrote about it. Um, went through some life crises and ended up at Willow Creek. And while he was at Willow Creek, uh, the Holy Spirit came rushing in and he became converted and to the point where he was able to use his writing and speaking talents, ended up as one of the three speaking pastors at Willow Creek. Uh, ended up at Saddleback out in California. He's written a bunch of books. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, Randy Thompson, was talking to me and he said, uh, uh, yeah, well, Lee and I were doing this and saying something. I said, Lee who? He goes, Lee Strobel. I said, shut up. You don't know Lee Strobel. He goes, yeah, we got to be really good friends when he was in Chicago, Willow Creek. I said, you are, you're lying to me. He said, no, really, we are. I said, okay, well, next time Lee's in town, why don't you guys invite me out for lunch? And he said, okay. So it was a couple months later, he called me. He said, hey, Lee's coming in town. I told him about you. He'd like to meet you. Um, let's have lunch. So there was this Milrose uh, barn, which is a fabulous, uh, it's sadly it's closed now, but it was a fabulous restaurant in Barrington, Illinois. And so we were going to meet at the Milrose. And so we set the time, and um, I was sure I was going to get there, and he'd be sitting at the table by himself. Ah, I was kidding all along, but we'll have a nice lunch. And, and so when I got there, I was a little late, and the, the hostess said, oh, yeah, there's two gentlemen waiting for you. And so she took me up to this, uh, it was up by the fire, it was uh, uh, wintertime and it was cold and, and so they were sitting by there's a big fireplace in the restaurant and, and sure enough there's Lee Strobel and I'm like oh my gosh he wasn't lying so we sat down and we proceeded to have a three and a half four hour lunch it was awesome and again you know great minds small minds talk about people mediocre minds talk about events great minds talk about ideas hey 
We were talking about, we had great minds. We were just talking about ideas, you and me. And uh, anyway, so we had great minds that day. We were talking, you know, deep, deep theology and, and things like that. And then um, uh, I just thought, I'm going to pay for the bill. Uh, but I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll tell Joanne later. And so uh, um, as the waiter started walking up to us, I was going to reach for the bill quickly when all of a sudden Lee and Randy had palmed their credit cards in their hand. And as the waiter got close, they whipped their credit card at him. And they had a deal. The first guy that got to hit the waiter or waitress with the credit card gets to pay. Isn't that awesome? Well, I, was, I didn't know the game. I didn't get in on the game. So I said, no, I'm taking the bill. They go, no, you, you, your credit card didn't even come near them. And the poor waiter's like, ah, you know. And, and uh, um, Lee ended up uh, hitting them with his credit card. Lee ended up paying and isn't that a fabulous thing, though? Whoever hits them gets to pay. Have you ever been with people who get alligator arms when it comes time for the bill? Oh, let me get that. Yeah. You know, and, and my kids. Um, this is when I knew I was growing up. My father-in-law, when, when Joy and I first got married, we didn't have any money. He would pay for everything. And then uh, as, as um, I changed churches and was making a little bit of money, I remember we all went out for dinner one time, and... and uh, my father-in-law, Les, was sitting here, and I was sitting here. And, and the, the waitress, she just put the bill right in between us. And I remember my, I was expecting him to grab it, and my father-in-law looked at it, and he literally turned away. <laughs> and I knew it was my turn. Um, but, but how fabulous you get to pay. Talk about, and, and the whole time was encouraging. But, but um, I'm not a cook. I wish I could cook. I, you know, I can grill. <laughs> raw meat on the barbecue. I love that, you know. But, but I'm not a cook. But I love to feed people, and so I find great joy in in buying people's meals. Um, and so I try to always, you know, sneak the credit card in ahead of time. Now I don't have any friends that I can play that game with. But uh, perhaps if you visit me in Dundee, you want to play that game. Let's give it a go. Um, we'll just make sure that it's a, a a waitress or waiter that's not a, upset if we hit them with a credit card. Um, but truly, that's going back to encouragement. Where's my stuff? Um, we're running down and we're running out of time. Let's finish this up. Um, this is, is just kind of funny. He just caught a fish, a bass, a bass. I don't, I don't know how to spell the same. Guess where he took me? Fishing. Yeah, fishing. Water and everything. Oh, I know. They're so yucky. He almost made me touch a worm. Ugh. He said fishing, so I thought we were going on Daddy's yacht and getting sushi. Well, he is cute, though. You should see him in his little fishing outfit. But whatever. Look at me. I worked out yesterday at the gym. Treadmill. Three minutes. Mm-hmm. Almost worked up a sweat. All I know is when we get back to dry land, eBay. Me or the boat? Of course he's going to pick me. I don't know, the boat's kind of sparkly though. My outfit matches it and I did not even plan that. <laughs> That's so funny. I need another guy that doesn't take me fishing. <laughs> I know. Again, I don't mean any offense. However, there are people in our lives where we wish we had that button. But we don't, 
that's not the way of Jesus. We don't get to eject people out of our lives, even though we sometimes want to. Um, uh, I showed you that just for a little lighthearted humor. Um, Last thing, gives traction by being exciting. Being energetic, being encouraging, being exciting. And these are not easy things to do. Especially when, um, I mean, we get tired, we get exhausted, we get worn out. Uh, but are you excited? And, and being excited doesn't mean jumping up and down, woohoo! I've, I've met people who have such an incredible joy and excitement deep in their soul. And it oozes out of their pores, not necessarily out of their voices or their actions. And, and that's really, there's, there's a light in their eyes when they are talking about um, loving God or loving other people. There's, there's something, there's an, an excitement and energy that, that is just amazing, even in spite of sometimes their hardships or their, their, um, their disabilities. It's amazing to me. Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal. That's, that's a pretty, pretty strong statement, isn't it? Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be never lacking in your zeal. Um, this is an old clip. Uh, you've heard of blue-collar comedy, I'm sure, right? Um, Bill Engvall and Larry the Cable Guy and Ron White and um, uh, Jeff Foxworthy. Well, they will tell you that they got their idea for the Blue Collar Comedy Tour from a group of African-American comedians, um, Steve Harvey, Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Hughley, and uh, Bernie Mac, who uh, sadly has passed away. And they called themselves the Kings of Comedy, and they, they went around doing these comedy uh, tours. And... Um, Jeff Foxworthy thought that was so great that that's why they, they came out. And there, all, all eight of those guys are really good friends, uh, or were before Bernie passed away. Anyway, um, this is a clip from back in the day of the Kings of Comedy. In fact, Steve Harvey uh, has hair, and so it's, it's an older clip. Um, but I don't know if you've ever been to a comedy concert, secular comedy concert. They're, they can be very fun, but, but i got to tell you, they can be incredibly raw. Very, I mean, truly. And so it can get pretty, pretty, pretty harsh. Well, this is at a secular comedy concert. And Steve Harvey, Harvey ends his, he's a, he's a profound Christian, ends his bit by saying, if I had the privilege to welcome back Jesus when Jesus returns, he says, this is how I do it. And so at a secular comedy concert, listen to what he says and watch what the people do. If I had the pleasure of bringing out Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He hails out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining 
happening in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine. No special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings, ruler of the universe, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. Some say he's the rose of Sharon, and some say he's the Prince of Peace. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together and show your love for the second coming of the one and only. God has been good. Amazing to me at a secular comedy concert, people were on their feet, and he used his gifts in the place he was at simply to express his faith with energy, excitement, to build people up, not to tear them down. I'm not suggesting that you fill stadiums full of people in a comedy concert. That's not your gig. It's not mine. But I am suggesting that you would be able to find ways where you're at, who you are, being who you are, to give people traction by being truthful, by um, being energetic, by being exciting, and in, um, being encouraging. Uh, my last story. Well, let me give you this. Um, I believe Jesus would have us teach others to sing and not to whine. That we would help people sing and, and not whine. Um, life is hard. I, we won't minimize the depth of people's hardships or their pain. Um, we don't know where other people have come from, and so uh, we, we do well to take a measure of patience in listening. But ultimately, um, whining... Uh, isn't what we were made to do. We were made to sing. Um, there was a young man in my life named Ben, and um, while he was in college, <coughs> excuse me, I, I got to know 
Then while he was in high school and I was in Detroit, um, uh, I served in the African-American community and, and there was an all African-American Lutheran High West and there was an all uh, white Lutheran High School, Lutheran High North. And we wanted to get the kids together and do a community project. And so what we did is we did a big blanket drive and uh, we had the, the high schools collect blankets and then we had high school kids go down into the inner city of Detroit uh, when it was cold out and simply hand out blankets to homeless people it was awesome. It was, and, and so, and then we had, uh, went to Pizza, Pizza Papalis, uh, a, a Greek pizza joint downtown Detroit and had all these, these high school kids black and white together and um, uh, have pizza after they did. And the incredible friendships were fun. It was, it was really, it was fun. Anyway, I got to know uh, this young man, Ben. He was a high school student. Well, he ended up going to, I, I then moved to Chicago, took my second call to Gloria Day in Chicago, and uh, Ben ended up going to Concordia College in River Forest, just outside Chicago, and so I kept in touch, and I knew Ben's parents, Tom and Clara, and um, um, uh, when, well, Ben got there, Ben uh, got into trouble. He uh, started drinking pretty heavily, and one uh, uh, one. Afternoon, he called and confessed that he truly believed he was a raging alcoholic and he needed help. Well, I was going up to Williams Bay, Wisconsin that following weekend to do uh, speaking at a uh, George Williams College to do a, a speaking thing, and I just said, uh, Ben, why don't you come with? And um, Ben ended up coming with me, and he met some phenomenal college people and really helped him on the road to not only sobriety, but deepening his faith and, um, I mean, he was still a Christian through all of this, there's no question, but he, he was struggling. And uh, uh, some of the, the young people, in fact, um, ended up uh, keeping in touch with him, and uh, Ben ended up changing his program to become pre-seminary, and um, uh, was actually uh, confirmed then. Uh, he wasn't confirmed as a high school student, but got confirmed uh, in Brookfield, Illinois, and and his uh, confirmation verse as a co college kids was Romans 1.16, for we are not ashamed of the gospel. Um, and so he, he, in order to prove that he wasn't, he had it tattooed on his arm, his confirmation verse, and, and uh, ended up going to seminary. Well, I, I would keep in touch with him, and while he was at seminary, like so many seminarians, if, if you get a chance to, uh, to meet a seminarian, um, Seminarians struggle, and if you could give a little money to him or her to um, keep going in their program, and, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying hundreds of dollars, uh, if you meet a seminarian, you want to do a favor, give them 20 bucks so that they could go out for dinner. Um, anyway, uh, we were keeping in touch, and he, was, he told me that he, he was flat out of money. He had a younger brother, Josh, that was in college. His younger sister was in high school. She was going to college. Tom and Claire, his parents, they were out of money. And so uh, he said, I, I don't know if I'm going to have money uh, uh, to finish seminary. And I said, well, and I had struggled with that too. So I, I said, well, you, you know what? Why don't you come up? Why don't you come preach at my church? We're going to, we, we give you $100 a service. There's three services that weekend. I said, we'll give you three. We'll pay your mileage, give you $300, and, and we'll set you on your way. And he said, oh, that'd be a big help. So... Um, we had him come up, and uh, I thought, well, we'll take a door offering, you know. And so we, uh, while we were talking that weekend, he told me that he was uh, $1,500 in arrears. Um, owed the seminary $1,500. If he didn't come up with the cash, um, they weren't going to let him start the next 
quarter and then, you know, internship is delayed, everything, you know, it just, it, it snowballs then. And, and, you know, sometimes when people leave school and they start making money, it's hard to go back to school because they don't want to, so I'm always worried when somebody stops. And so um, we, we were praying. I didn't tell my congregation much. I, I uh, just said he was struggling. And, and so anyway, he came up and he, he preached and we took a door offering at each of the three services. And God bless you. And at um, the, uh, uh, I came up in my mind that, that hopefully we'd come up with another $200. With the $300 we were paying him, plus his mileage, and $200, I was hoping we'd send him on his way with at least a third of the way toward his debt. And uh, so uh, we took door offerings, and then the, the ushers would take the money down to the finance room, and we kept it separate. And I, I told people, you know, we don't, do, you know, if you make out a check, make it out to Ben because we want to give him the money right away, and we, you know, we don't want to wait, blah blah blah. So anyway, they kept it separate. And uh, Dave Bartell, one of the ushers, he came up, <laughs> and he had it in a brown paper bag. And I had made up in my mind that even if, the, if it wasn't five hundred dollars, I was going to stop at the ATM and make up the difference. So we were going to send him with five hundred. And so, I, dear God, if, if there's not five hundred, please. Let Joanne understand why I need to do this. And, 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 and I knew she would. I knew she would. So um, he walks up, and, and uh, he had a bag of money. And I said, Dave, uh, is there $200 in there? And he said, no. And I said, oh. And he said, uh, I also got the check in here. The treasurer gave the check, so I put this in the bag, too. I said, so it doesn't come up to $500 total? He says, no. I said, how much did it come up to? He said, $1,501. And I'm like, what? I mean, it was a good sermon. It wasn't a $1,500 sermon. <laughs> and then I kind of got a little irritated. I was irritated with God, and I thought, God, of course you're going to give him the $1,500. You want him to stay. But the sermon was better than $1. Anyway, I remember um, Joanne invited Tom and Claire. They came from Detroit to hear him preach. Yeah, and so they came over for lunch afterwards. We had some cold cuts and whatnot, and and got to our place, and and we're sitting around the table, and I had the bag of money, and everybody stared at the bag of money, and I I just kind of put the bag of money on the plate and said, let's pray for lunch. And Joanne's like, how much money's in the bag? (laughs) And I I put it on Ben's plate, and I said, there's $1,501 in there. And Claire started to cry, and Tom, he's in heaven now. Um, ben couldn't believe it. The kicker to the story, though, is uh, later that week, a fellow by the name of Bob Erlinson, fabulous man. Um, well, our, our worship services are on the radio every Sunday. And uh, he, he stopped in to see me. He said, Pastor, he said, uh, I don't know if you noticed, I wasn't in church. I said, yeah, I didn't notice you weren't in church. He said, yeah, I wasn't feeling good. I was really sick this weekend. I said, well, I hope you're feeling better. He said, yeah, I am, I am feeling better. He said, uh, um, uh, but that's not why I'm here. I, I heard the young man preach, and, and I heard you take a door offering, and um, well, I wasn't there to give anything, so I thought maybe you could get him this, and he handed me a $50 bill. And I thought, $51. Now, that sermon was worth $51. <laughs> that taught me again. And I wanted him to know, to sing instead of whine. Can we do that? Can we help people? And sometimes it's, it, it takes finances to help people sing and not whine. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes energy. Sometimes it takes listening. Sometimes it takes our, our hearts.
That's what we've been talking about, seasoning our little corner of the world, being the salt of the earth. Five things. It flavors, it preserves, it makes people thirsty, thaws ice, it gives traction. Today, give traction. Remember, be truthful, be energetic, be encouraging, be excited. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for our week together. I know that uh, we're going home soon, and I ask that you would bless uh, all of us safe travels home. But I also ask that you would um, take what was given this week and use it for the good of all of us. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give us an opportunity to reconvene sometime. And if not here, then certainly in the heavenly home. All of this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.